Well, is everybody filled up in their bellies? Ready to go to sleep? Okay, I won't hold you responsible if you nod off. Sometimes it's so hard at church because I know that people watch the pastor's wife, you know, to see if we're listening to our husbands and taking notes. You know those ugly faces you get when you're trying to really keep your eyes open and it just, you find yourself nodding off? One lady fell asleep so hard. She was sitting long, long ago, and there were wooden pews, and she was sitting in front of us. And my sister and her husband (laughs) that were with us on behind her, this lady literally, she got so sleepy, she just went, the whole pew shook, and all of us in the back, we are cracking up. It was very embarrassing. So if you're that sleepy, just go to your room and go to bed. <laughs> we don't want people to laugh at you. So Anyway, our last time together um, in the book of Romans, chapter 12. So let's bow our hearts. Father, your word is so rich, Lord, and we want our hearts to be turned towards you. Father, we pray that we would look deep into your face, that we will know how loved we are by you, Father, and that we would experience your mercy and grace on a daily basis. Father, teach us to live in a way that will bring you praise, glory, and honor thanking you for the life that you have blessed us with as being your daughter. God, go before us now. Holy Spirit, teach us. We pray that you, Father, will breathe life into this message and it will land in every woman's heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. will you turn to Romans chapter 12, and I'm going to be reading from the New King James Version, verses 9 through 21. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor, giving preference to one another. Not lagging in diligence. Fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope. Patient in tribulation. Continuing steadfastly in prayer. Distributing to the needs of the saints given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Don't be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourself, but rather give place for wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I wish I was able to hear Paul say this, because he is just going boom, 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 right on down the list. You are to behave like a Christian, and here's how you do it. I would have loved to have seen his expression and seen the passion and the fervor and love that he had for Christ as he is telling us how we need to be living our lives as Christian people. So in his exhortation in verse 9, he says, love is to be without hypocrisy. How many of us have ever been hypocritical and the way we love people. Yeah, I think every single one of us in this place. 
We are to abhor what is evil and cling to that that is good. Paul's emphasis is on the attitudes of a Christian who exercises their spiritual gifts. We need to abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, and love one another without hypocrisy. And then we're free to use those gifts that God has given us for his glory and to bless the body. Warren Wiersbe says this. Paul makes the same point in 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. Love is the circulatory system of the spiritual body, which enable all the member co-function in a healthy, harmonious way. This must be an honest love. (laughs) Not a hypocritical love. Humble and not proud. Preferring one another means that we treat others as more important than ourselves. That's a heavy call, isn't it? I mean, this is completely death to self. And you've got to die more than just one time a day. You've got to constantly be put to death. There was a story. This woman in the uh, Daily Mail says this. Her name is Joanne Syberry. Anyway, she confessed to the newspaper, I get rid of dogs as soon as they stop becoming cute puppies. I know, that's sad, huh? Indeed, she has given away four dogs already in four years. She writes, I'm a serial dogmatist. In the early stages of the relationship, I am just head over heel in love. I attend all the puppy classes, and I don't even mind picking up dog poo. There's nothing that I wouldn't do for my cute little doggy companion. But the moment things get complicated and they develop a problem... I don't covet a dog-free existence like other sane persons might. Instead, I start wondering if there's another more suitable dog out there for me. Maybe one that is less bouncy, less barky, less inclined to molt everywhere. And so the new search begins, and I can't rest until I have found a replacement puppy to lie adoringly at my feet. How sad, huh? But isn't every commitment like a puppy waiting to turn into a real dog? We begin our commitments, well, not literally. (laughs) I'm not saying we're dogs. I'm reading the application from the illustration. We begin our commitments with enthusiasm and anticipation until responsibility kicks in. Everybody loves the puppy stage, but every puppy eventually becomes a real dog. The French proverb says, you need to not only want what you want, you need to want what you want leads to. Got that? Okay. Real love, committed love, not only wants what it wants, it wants what that wants leads to. Love that fades with effort is called puppy love. Love that fulfills its obligation is real love. Don't discard relationships when somebody starts molting or shedding. To enjoy long-term committed relationships, we must accept the long-term responsibilities that come along with them. And we can be free to love the way God wants us to love, that long-term committed agape love with no strings attached, when we can start to embrace the love that God has freely given you and that you will quit listening to the lie when the enemy shoves in your mind that you really aren't loved. God doesn't really love you. You know, you've just blown it one too many times and that's it. You've crossed the final line and that is it. That is a lie from the pit of hell. And I don't know why it is... As we have the truth of God's word for us 24-7, we listen to the lie of the enemy to say that God does not love us. 
is such blasphemy because he died on the cross to give our lives meaning and hope and to show how much he loves us. I had this point come across to me so real because um, I've been married, like I said, I'll be married 47 years in August. Well, a couple of years ago, on our 45th um, wedding anniversary, we happened to be in Maui. Now, we were in Maui because my brother-in-law had died, and this has been our family's favorite place, and we went to go spread his ashes. And um, it happened to be our anniversary month, so I went up to my husband. I thought, well, heck, if all the family's going to be out there, why don't we um, renew our vows? So I went up to him, so cute, you know, and, honey... You want to go and renew our vows and when we go to Maui? Now, I'm not thinking, okay, we need to be there for my sister. How self-focused am I, um, you know, to support her because her husband has just passed. And he goes, well, I don't know. And, man, that just set me off. <laughs> uh, you don't know? Okay, then forget it. We don't have to renew our vows. And my mind, I am literally went nuts. Now, I know that my man... He loves me. He cherishes me. He washes me with the word. He takes his um, exhortation from Paul to present me as an unblemished bride to the Lord so seriously. He does all he can to make sure that I am precious. I love that man. I don't know how I got so blessed. Uh, He did not. (laughs) No. (laughs) God's still working on me. But I know that he loves me. I don't know why in the world I started to, in my head, thinking, oh, he doesn't want to renew the vows in front of everybody. If he could do it over again, he wouldn't. I I mean, I was just taking this so personal. And this one little thing, now he doesn't want to do it because he doesn't want to overstep the bounds and he wants to help my sister. I'm taking it so personal that it's all about me. So wrong. And I gave him the silent treatment for a little bit. And finally, when I submitted my will back to the Lord, I went up to him and said, Honey, I'm so sorry. I don't know why I went there. And he goes, Yeah, (laughs) I don't know why you went there either. (laughs) I know the truth, but I bought the lie that the enemy was selling me at that moment. And we do the same thing with our Savior. He loves you, and we have to believe it. That's it. That is it. He never hates you. He never has the worst intentions about you. He is all about love. He's all about wanting his people to enjoy an abundant life that he died to give to you because he loves you so much. And Paul goes on to say, so with that love that you are so enjoying, you take it and own it, and now you give that love back to others. So again, so the body is functioning the way we're supposed to function. But sin affects our relationships. But believing in the gospel reconciles us to God and to one another. We are to love without limits. The Life Application Bible says this. Most of us have learned how to pretend to love others, how to speak kindly and to avoid hurting feelings, and appear to have an interest in them. We may even be skilled in pretending to feel moved with compassion when we hear of others' needs or to become indignant when we learn of injustice. But God calls us to real and sincere love that goes far beyond pretense and mere politeness. We know how to play the game. We know how to manipulate. It's worked for us for so long. But now, as a believer, the Lord says to stop it. Quit being a hypocrite in the way you love the brethren. David Guzik says, let love be without hypocrisy. Of course, love with hypocrisy isn't real love at all. 
But much of what masquerades as love in the Christian community is laced with hypocrisy, and it must be demonstrated against. We are not supposed to be phony with one another. We are supposed to be real. Who you see here, this should be the real me. Who I see in you should be the real you. We shouldn't be one way here because we're all churchy and good people. And then somebody else at home, when the masks are off, we're not to be hypocritical. Christ died to make us one, and we need to enjoy that oneness in him. Again, we know how to play the game, though. But God knows the game, and he doesn't want you playing the game. He sees through that hypocrisy, and he wants to cleanse us from that. So again, so we're free to really love the way he has called us to love without any barriers up. Um, We are in a constant battle to dethrone ourselves and to die to self so we're able to really put others above us. A.W. Tozer says, In every Christian heart, there is a cross and there is a throne. And the Christian is on the throne till he puts himself on the cross. If he refuses the cross, he remains on the throne. We all want to be saved, but we insist that Christ do all the dying. That's heavy, huh? Conviction. The commands in Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21, are built on the foundations of Romans 12, 1 and 2. Romans 9 through 21 shows us what God will for us in a godly relationship. Paul is showing us what love looks like in action. John 13, 34 and 35 says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. The first that we see in the fruit of walking with the Spirit is what? What? Love. Love. Yeah. So if we're in the Spirit, walking with him, doing life God's way, love is going to be seen in our very being. We are going to be all about love, and not just the foofy, fluffy feelings that TV saturates us with, but it's that Love that comes from the precious Holy Spirit of God that he has birthed in our hearts now that we can now freely give to others. Um, Love without hypocrisy, a sincere love, not a phony or a pretending love, but a love that comes from God and flows through you, his vessel, to others. Hypocrisy in the Greek world, you know those um, masks, the, the, the happy and sad face that you put a mask on your face in Greek plays way back when. My daughter used to have those in her room. She was into drama, and they used to bug the goulash out of me. Walk in the room, and you see these faces looking at you. But as they were doing their plays, it, it could show their emotions. So they would be you know, acting in silence and have this happy face on, and then they want, needed a new emotion, take that off and put another one on. And that's such a vivid picture of what hypocrisy is, because we can pretend to be this when we're really this. And God says, don't do that. You know, let your love be sincere without the hypocrisy, without the masks that we can so freely put on. Because we want people to think the best about us, don't we? I mean, I don't want you to know all my dirty laundry. I really don't. My kids could tell you, but I don't want to tell you. And, and you know what? And I don't want to know yours either. You know, I think Denise is amazing. 
I really do. I think she has a love for God that has transformed her since the first time I've met her. Very sober-minded about the things of God. Loves God's word. Loves the women. Now, if I start hearing she's a gossip or she's a this or that, it's like, I don't want to know that. I don't want to see that. I want to believe the best in her. But see, the best in her, that needs to be real. So we can all say, you know what? I see her and she's like this and that's real because see, Christ has touched us and transformed us. We don't have to be hypocrites. And if we're struggling, then we need to be humble enough to say, I need prayer. I'm really having a rough time. Can you come alongside me? As Cheryl was saying earlier, I need my hands held up. I can't do this by myself. Will you please help me through this? There's nothing wrong with that. That's not being hypocritical. That's not being not a God lover. That means we're struggling just like we do on a daily basis. And we need help. The Holy Spirit empowers us, but sometimes we are weak. As Jesus said, the Spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. So we need help from one another. And prayerfully, we'll give that love to one another when we need it. As a believer, we are not to wear masks. Our heart should be such that it wants what's best for you and for myself. And to want what's best is that as a body of believers, we are to abhor or hate what is evil have nothing to do with evil. And instead of loving evil like we maybe used to do, now we cling to those things that are good. See, I want you conformed to the image of Christ. And if you're messing around with evil, you're not going to be conformed to Jesus Christ, nor will I. So the best thing for me to do is to show you what it means to stay away from evil. Cling to what is good. Stay close to those good things. Don't mess around with that evil that you used to be involved in because you're going to get burned by it. So my example to you is I'm loving you without hypocrisy. Devoted love is to show you what it looks like to flee evil and to run to those things that are good. So as we abhor evil, and abhor is a That's a strong word, isn't it? We don't use that very often today. But it is to hate strongly. Dislike evil. Hate it because God hates it. That's it. We don't make compromises with it. If God said it's evil, then it's evil. And believe him. Take him at his word and and stay away from it. Get it out of your life. And instead we are to cling like glue to what is good. We don't hang out with evil. We stay away from evil. 2 Timothy 2.22 says, Flee evil desires. Flee your youthful lust. Don't be around them. Run away from them. Why do we think that we can hang around like we used to in, before we were saved in, um, I don't know, places that we used to go that we would get in trouble with and think that we're going to come out smelling like roses? Usually what happens is we end up falling and and entering into sin because our spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. So we flee. Stay away from it. Run as far away as you can from those evil desires of your youth. But Paul doesn't stop there because he says, flee, but pursue. Okay, so we're running away, but we're pursuing righteousness and faith and peace with those who are called on the Lord out of a pure heart. So we cling, we stick to what is good. We move away from one, but we run to the other. We abhor evil as a reaction against what all displeases the Lord. Since God hates sin, we are to hate sin as well. Um, Paul, 
says in Philippians 4, 8, to dwell on the things that are true and lovely and of good report. Those things are good for us. Keep our minds there instead of filling them with the filth of this world. Hold tightly to what is good, because we know if we've been walking with the Lord for any length of time at all, that the enemy is constantly trying to loosen your grip on what is good as he tempts you to become more and more tolerant to the world system, more and more tolerant to the world's culture, more and more gullible to the things that the world is trying to shove down our throat. And we need not compromise if we can take Romans 12, 1 and 2 to heart and not conform to the ways of this world. Paul's already said that, so he says it again. Don't conform, don't conform, don't conform. Remember whose stamp is on you. Is it the world's or is it the Lord's? Prayerfully, it is the Lord's. Um, If we start to compromise our own values and our morals, whoever it is that we hang with, whoever you influence, and I'm talking your Christian sisters, if they start to see you, I don't know, I don't don't know, maybe when you were first saved, you decided I'm not going to go to an R-rated movie. You know, and the person that you have influence over, they're looking at you on how to be a Christian. You know what, that's, that's good. I, I won't either. You know, so you're doing that for a couple of years, and it's, it's really good, and you're growing in the Lord. And then all of a sudden, one day you decide there's this great movie. The commercial looks amazing. I know it's rated R, but hey, I'm going to go. Now your friend is looking at you thinking, hmm, I wonder what happened. What's going on? I'll go too. You can use anything like that, drinking. I don't know, smoking pot, because it's legal now. You know, before we used to stay away, and I don't understand, really, sweet sisters, why we would run to that stuff when most of us have been set free from that stuff anyway. We go right back to it again. It, it, that baffles my mind. I remember as a young Christian, we were very legalistic. My husband made me be. <laughs> I didn't want to be, but he made me be. Um, and we quit everything and it was very boring for a long time for me not for him he got real serious in his walk with the lord and i did not i'm very thankful that he continued to pray for me and loved me through that but um so we didn't drink and my mom and dad they did drink and they drank an abundance and we would tell them you got to quit drinking if you don't quit drinking and turn to god you're going to hell god loves you though (laughs) horrible Horrible, horrible witness. So one day, we happened to be at a party, and my mother and father walk in, and I had a wine cooler in my hand. And I'll never forget my father's look on his face, because I've been telling him. And he looks at me, and he said, I thought Christians don't drink. And I was like, oh, my goodness. What did I just do to my father? He does not remember that, and I'm very thankful. But God won't let me forget. Because we have to practice what we preach. We have to be real inside and outside. And live for God's glory. So, be careful. When you want to start to compromise, there's other people watching you. There's other people that are going to follow your lead. And if you think drinking is okay because you can handle it, what about your friend who you're going to cause to stumble? And before you know it, now they're an alcoholic. You have some part in that. No, that's not my fault. That's hers. She can't handle a drink. She can't handle it. No. See, she was watching your lead. She was watching what you did and felt because you had the liberty to do that, 
she can too. We need to be so careful. See, that's part of loving one another. The law of love supersedes my own freedoms. I don't want to cause anybody to stumble. And preferably that will be your heart as well. You don't want to cause anyone to stumble. My kids, my grandchildren, they can go through any drawer, any cupboard, any movie that we have in our little movie selection, and I am not fearful at all that they're going to find something in there that will be offensive to them. That's how we should live our lives. And I pray that we can see the seriousness of us walking upright before the Lord and before one another, loving one another to put ourselves on the back burner. If it's going to cause you to stumble for me to go in an R-rated movie with you, I'm not going to go. I don't want to have that responsibility on me. We should love one another that deeply. So, Paul wants our commitment to show affection, family, and brotherly love toward one another. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, points, he points out that it never works to approach the emotions directly. Rather, he says, feelings are always the result of something else, the result ultimately of understanding and thoughts. He points out that if we just put on a cloak of feelings, which we do have, it's all hypocrisy. Rather, we go back to the doctrines Paul expounded on in Romans chapter 1 through chapter 11 and to the logical conclusion that he urges us in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Then we can realize that we have now been born into God's family along with all others who have trusted in Christ Jesus. None of us deserves it, but now we are all related through the new birth and we will spend eternity together. So heartfelt obedience to these commands come from responding to the teaching of who we are today in the Lord Jesus Christ. Who we are today for the life that God has given to us. We all belong to one another. We're going to spend eternity together. You know, and I don't want to, when I see you come up to heaven, run away and hide because I've caused you to stumble in some way. I don't want that. That's not really going to happen because it's going to be perfect in heaven. But you know what I mean? You get the picture. We need to be right before the Lord. Um, I got this um, commentary from somebody, and I don't know who it was, but it's great. So I'm going to read it. it. says, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Humble heroes are birthed when their hearts are first conceived in love by Christ, in love for Christ, and in love for those Christ loves. Indeed, to love and to be loved emboldens our faith, It stirs our emotion against injustice. It strengthens our resolve. It magnifies our vision. It galvanizes our relationship, emanates our affection, grows our generosities, overflows our joy, and expands our capacity to serve. Humility is first concerned about the concerns of others, not its own agenda. Selfish ambition is neutralized when it submits to the needs of others above and above, over and above its own needs. So how can we grow a heart of humility? One way is to actively support others in their real-time felt needs and their long-term wants and dreams. Human beings tend to focus on what's in front of them, but within them is a hopeful desire for their life to become better in the future. A humble heart is good soil for our Savior's seed of intentional love to germinate and grow into an orchard where everyone's interests can flourish. Since each one seeks to fulfill the other's interest, 
Jesus valued the world over his own comfort, and even in his life, he continually gave and gave again. So if we can really put our own needs and wants and desires on the back burner to let your needs and desires be now my needs and desires, can you imagine how amazing the church would be? If we could really do what Jesus Christ himself did, is to think highly, more highly of others than he did of himself. Jesus did that. And we can't? What is it that is so special about us that we can't humble ourselves, that we can think more highly of ourselves so much of the time? Being prideful, as we said earlier, is such a huge, divisive tool that the enemy uses in churches and in families, and in our own personal lives, because it kills us. It actually kills our soul when we're so self-focused. And we know people like that. We know people that are so arrogantly selfish and prideful. And aren't they kind of sickening to be around? They really are. If you, if you really know somebody like that, and I, I used to. I don't anymore. But I was like, oh, you see them coming, and you just want to walk the other way. They're a nuisance to be around. God help us that we would never have that kind of heart, that we're so full of ourselves that it's like, hey, look out, here I come. You know, it's, it's, not, it's not funny, and it's not pleasant, and it's not good. And it's a stench in God's nostrils when we're so full of ourselves, so full of me that I can't care for you. There's something disconnected there. And Paul says we need to stop that. Love sincerely. We may say that we can't love like that, but God says In honor, give preference to another. Remember, we've laid ourselves already on the altar, as Romans chapter 12 told us to, allowing Christ to use us. And besides, how unlovely were we when Christ loved us? Love is so important to God. John 15, verse 12 says, love God and love one another. Titus chapter 2, verse 4 says, love our husbands and love our children. Matthew 22, 39 says, love our neighbor. Luke 6, 7, 20, or excuse me, Luke 26, 27 says, love our enemies. Love is a part of our new life in the Lord Jesus Christ. Mark 10, 30 and 31 says, love the Lord God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the first commandment, and the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Our Christian walk depends on the quality of our love relationship with God. He first loved us, and we respond to his love by loving others. John 13, 35 says, By this, by love, by agape love, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. And it's through this love that we are able to forgive and overlook people's faults. It's God's agape love that he wants to work in our lives. I read this somewhere, and I I don't remember where I read it, but it's really good. Hope you think so, too. God does not determine whether you deserve his love before he loves you. Likewise, he does not want you to set up a test that others must pass before you can love them. He wants you to love them and to pray for them no matter how they treat you. No matter how they treat you. Now, isn't that convicting? How many times do we make up a test for people to pass before we will love them? 
especially if we've been hurt by them before. Or maybe we aren't testing them before we make the decision to love them, but we certainly test them to make sure that they stay loved by us. Because if they hurt us one too many times, we can just cross them off of our list, right? We're going to protect ourselves, do everything we can to protect ourselves. But again, that is not what God says. Jerry Bridges says, To recognize that there is someone I don't love is to say to God, I do not love you enough to love that person. That is very convicting. We're telling our father, sorry, I don't love you enough to love my sister. I'm not going to do it. I won't do it. How shameful for us to have that kind of a heart. Romans chapter 12, verse 11 and 12 says, from the message, don't burn out. Keep yourself fueled in a flame. Be alert servants of the master and cheerfully expectant. Don't quit in hard times. Pray all the harder. The word translated fervent means to boil over. To be fervent in spirit is to allow the Holy Spirit to set you on fire, to be constantly burning for the Lord. He gives you the strength to love, and he gives you the strength to serve, and he gives you the strength to be the person that he has called you to be. So you rejoice in the hope that God promises, that helps us to persevere through the trials and the tribulations that will come in our life. And we pray, and we continue to pray, because hard times come to us, and we can't use them, though, as an excuse to sit back and not love, or not serve, or not be involved in the things of God. In verse 13, Paul says, to distribute to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality, We love by sharing and ministering to one another, to those who are in need. David Guzik says this, Our care and concern will demonstrate itself in practical needs done for others, either going to them or inviting them to come to us through hospitality. And the idea is to pursue people you don't know with hospitality. And I love that. In my opinion, I don't know, maybe you guys can shed some light on for me, but I think... For the women at our church, because everybody is so busy, I think hospitality is something that is like dying out. We're all so, um, I don't know, you know, you, after work, you just want to go home and put your feet up, and I don't want to have to cook and be special for anybody else. I just want to gel out in front of the TV or do whatever we do. But I think that's something that the Lord desires to see his children do, is to invite people over and hang out and fellowship. And we don't have to have the perfect house. You can have a house full of screaming kids. You know, just kick the toys out of the way so you have a path that you guys can talk together. You don't have to make fancy meals. I remember I was so embarrassed. I invited a pastor's wife over to lunch one time, and I didn't have time to go to the store. I made egg salad sandwiches. I know. She liked it. Praise the Lord for that. But, I mean, so what? We were fellowshipping. We had a good time being together. It's not all about the stuff. You know, since when did God say... You be hospitable to this lady if you can, you know, use the crystal and the china and the silver and the chandeliers and all that. No. (laughs) Who has that stuff anyway? Not very many of us. You know, let them come into your home. See what you're all about. Let them see how you make decorations in your house. Make your home warm and inviting. It doesn't have to be perfect. But have a heart that can be open to invite others to come in and to see and experience your world. Because I think, like I said, I think it's a dying thing. I get excited when we get invited over to somebody's house. Because then I don't have to cook. So that's a, that's a good thing. <laughs> 
Anyway, we are to pursue people we don't know with hospitality and invite them in. Verse 14 says, to bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Okay, now this one is hard. We are not even to curse them under our breath. We are not to say, God will get you. It's talking about a heart, an attitude that we are to have in our heart. I remember this one time I was driving with my three little ones at the time, and there was this old woman that cut us off, and I almost hit her. And I am irate. I'm, I'm already a Christian, and I am so mad. So I am like, ah, I can't believe I almost, you could have killed my kids. And, it, and she comes by me, and she's going, <laughs> that, oh, Lord, what a fool I am. You know, we just get crazy over the silliest, well, it wasn't silly, it was a dangerous thing. But still, you got to keep those things in check. You know, just because something happens to you doesn't mean you fly off the handle. We need to be prepared for those things, and that's what Paul's basically telling us to do as he is just wrapping these things all off. You know, be careful on how we deal with life. So bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Bless them means, okay, get this, to speak well of them. So they're persecuting you. They're being ugly to you. They're hating your guts. And you are to speak well of them. That's a hard thing to do. It's a supernatural thing to do. That's why we need to rely on the Holy Spirit. Because that's not our natural response, to speak well of them. You know, we get hurt, and the first thing we want to do is hurt back, usually. So it's a work of God's Spirit, as he transforms us, that we can act like a believer. Don't gossip about them. Don't add fuel to the fire. Let God handle it. God's love, if we let it, can extend even to our enemies. The message, the message Bible says, no cursing allowed under your breath. Verse 15 says, to rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be part of one another's lives. I have Christian sisters that do that with me. And it is such a tender thing to have real friends that are genuinely happy, not envious or jealous when things are going so well in my life. And they are genuinely sorrowful when things are not going well, when there are things that really are consuming my mind and my heart and I'm in sorrow. They're right there with me, praying for me and experiencing the same thing that I'm going through. They love my family. They care for them. I mean, really, they pray. They prayed my prodigal daughter alongside me. They had tears in their eyes when Tracy went her own way. I mean, real good friends that genuinely want the best for you. And when I'm hurting, they're hurting. And there's such a tenderness between us because we share the good and the bad together. And Paul says that's what the church is supposed to be like. You know, we don't, again, we're not being hypocritical and phonies. We're transparent with one another. And we hold one another up and we cry together and, and we rejoice together. And if you get a big promotion in your job and you start to make $5 million a month and you get this beautiful house that I've been looking at forever, I want that house and you get it. I don't fill my heart with envy and ugly and how dare you do that when you know I wanted it. I rejoice for you. I'm happy for you. And it's genuine and it's real. It's not pretend. See, that's a work, again, of God's spirit in our lives. It's not about us. It's not about us. So we rejoice. We share with one another. And we have those tender moments sharing together in God's goodness. 
Then verse 16, he goes back to pride. Be of the same mind toward one another. Don't set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Don't be wise in your own opinion. And the message says it like this. Get along with each other. Don't be stuck up. Yeah, (laughs) right to the point. Make friends with the nobodies. Don't be the great somebodies. Make friends with the nobodies and don't be the great somebodies. We are made one in Christ, and Jesus himself is not a respecter of persons, so why should we be? We can all learn from one another. We're all teachable. We all have something to share. If we are humble, we will not look down on anybody. Anybody. Can you look, turn to uh, 1 Peter chapter 3? I'm going to read verses 8 through 12. 1 Peter chapter 3, starting at verse 8. Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tender-hearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. For he who would love life and see good days Let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So Peter is basically saying the same thing Paul is saying. Do the things that are good. Cling to those things that are good. Don't repay evil for evil. Be a God lover no matter where we're at, no matter who we're with. Show that you love the Lord Jesus Christ. Says to repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5 verses 44 and 45, I say to you to love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the sons of your Father in heaven. Okay, and we are to live out those good things that God is telling us to do. And others should know that what, what good is by looking at how we handle life, life circumstances and life situations. In verse 18, the Apostle Paul says, If it is possible... As much as it depends on you, you live peaceably with all men. We can't force others to want to do what's right. But as far as it depends on you, you do your part. To be a peacemaker, to resolve the conflict. And when we've done all that we can, we can rest back knowing that God is pleased with our efforts. We've done what we were called to do. Now, it doesn't mean we just say, okay, fine, I did my part, and they're still over there, and I don't need them. We need to still pray. We need to still pray that there will be a um, conflict resolution with that. Pray that their hearts are, are made tender in the sight of the Lord. But as far as it depends on you, you do all you can to make, there's, make sure there's peace between all men. <clears throat> we are to be peacemakers. And then verse 19 says, don't avenge yourselves, but rather give place to the wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And because of that, We are to feed our enemy if he's hungry. We are to give him a drink if he's thirsty. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. 
And there's been many different interpretations I've heard about this scripture. You know, put the coals of fire on their heads that could burn them to death. You know, or be so kind that you can burn them that way. But I like what David Guzik says. He says, is this something good in the eyes of the Lord? Or excuse me, in the enemy? Or is it something bad? It's most likely refers to the burning conviction that our kindness places on our enemy. We can destroy our enemy by making our enemy a friend. Isn't that awesome? We can destroy an enemy by making that enemy our friend. And isn't that what we're supposed to be doing? Aren't we supposed to be sharing the gospel with those who are lost? Loving those in the church who need an extra dose of love so they can see how loved they are by God and by you? Shouldn't we be reacting to the Holy Spirit so the Holy Spirit has full reign, not only in our lives but in the church as well? So we can be God-honoring, God-pleasing people and live a life in the church without divisions and conflicts and bickering and backbiting and all the junk that goes on in church. This is supposed to be the blessed place on earth. God has given us the church to belong to each other, to love each other, to grow together. I I was so blessed because one of the ladies over here, her daughter has been raised in the church, and now she's serving at the Bible college. How blessed that is to see little kids love their church so much that they want to grow up and stay there for the rest of their lives because this is a safe place. This is where I learned to love Jesus. This is where I saw other ladies loving Jesus. I want to be like the ladies I saw showing me the example on what it meant to love Jesus. That's what we're supposed to be doing, sweet sisters. And I pray as we truly apply chapter 12 to our lives, and it starts off, With what? Love. God's love towards us, our love towards him and others. And then we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. Father, you take my life. And we sang that tonight. I want to be all about you. I want all of you. I don't want to miss anything you have for me. Because I know, and I pray you know, because I really do know, that God's intentions for me are good. He wants me to experience life to the fullest on this earth with all its pains, with all its problems, with all its troubles. He is the one that gives me hope. He is the one that holds my life together when everything else is spinning out of control. He is a good God, and he is filled with love. The same love that I know is mine because of him, everything he has done, is the same love he gives to you. You can be so confident in that love. That foundation can be so solid that nothing can get you off of that solid foundation of the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. We can get shaky and maybe a little wobbly and scared sometimes, but nothing can move you from the love of God. Romans 8. Know that. So the next time the enemy comes to tempt you away in any way, you tell him to get lost because you're clinging to your Savior. You're loving what is good. You're abhorring what is evil. And I'm going to continue to go forward in my walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. You want to trip me up? You don't have a chance because I'm standing firm on the foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he wants. He wants your life and my life to matter for eternity. Whoever we come in contact with, see it as a divine appointment. See one another as true sisters in the faith and let God do what he wants to do in our lives. 
and watch how he transforms not only our lives, but our churches. Let's pray. Father, you have so much to show us and to tell us. And Lord God, we so desperately want to rightly represent you in this world. Father, we so desperately want to stay away from evil and, and allow good to just resonate in our hearts. Father, that others looking at us will see what a wonderfully marvelous, amazing God that you truly are. How filled with compassion and mercy and grace. How freely your love has been given to us, Lord. And I pray, God, that as we walk closer to you, as we fall deeper in love with you, Father, the people around us will marvel. They'll marvel because we know, they will know, that we've been touched by our loving Savior. So, Father, help us. Go before us, Lord. Transform us. May we be willing to put ourselves on the altar, giving you everything we have, everything we are, so you can have free reign in everything that we do. Be glorified in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.